Numbers chapter 11. Let me turn you back to that passage, please. We've entitled it Complaint and Criticism. Complaint and Criticism. Let's just unite our heart together. We word of prayers, we come to the preaching. God's word. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy presence. Thank thee for these psalms and hymns that we've been singing. And we do pray, Lord, that thou would bless the truth of them to our souls. We do remember Sister Leanne today with child. We pray, Lord, I would bless her, even as she comes near that time of giving birth. Lord, keep your hand upon her, we pray. Bless her young married couples, we ask of thee. Lord, guide them, direct their every step. Bless us now, Lord, as we come to this passage. Lord, uh, prepare our hearts. Give us, Lord, the listening ear. Take away every distraction, Lord, distracting thoughts that would flood in even of this week, but oh God, shut us in just with thee. And I pray to that end, I would fill us with thy spirit, that we might preach as thus. And thus saith the Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There were the lingerers, and then there were those who fell a-lusting. What they had in common, of course, as we noticed last time around, was that they had the complaining spirit in the camp of Israel. And if we learnt one thing at least when we considered these, it was no doubt that complaining is infectious and it spreads out to others. It influences so that the complaining spirit increases and it develops. You remember how they grew weary of the manna that God had provided for them and they desired to have the meat and that defective memory was also that which added to their problem. You see, they only remembered the onions and the garlic and the fish of Egypt, but they didn't seem to mention, they didn't seem to remember the hardship. They didn't seem to remember the hard taskmasters that they had to labor under and the slavery that God had delivered them out of. And God was displeased with their attitude. And God heard it all. And his wrath was to be Uh, given as well to be shown, to be revealed, because he was to give them what they had craved. In his wrath, he gave them what they desired, and he gave it to them in abundance. So much so that they ate it to their own destruction. Some of the finest young men, some of the strongest young men from that camp were slain because of their sin. Look at verse 33, 34, 33 and 34 of Numbers 11. While the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of the place Kibaroth Hatavah, because there they buried the people that lusted. And leaving behind graves, they journeyed onwards toward a place called Hazaroth. And that place wasn't to be a place to be remembered for the right reasons either. But before we get there, we've got to complete the message on complaining. Because I want you to realize that no one is exempt from this sort of attitude. Not those who linger, not those who lust, not even those who lead. For when we consider these verses closer, we realize that It also was to spread to Moses himself. 
Yes, the one whom God had called at that burning bush to be the one who would go to the land of Egypt and would deliver the people out of that land. The one who conveyed the word of God and conveyed the power of God before Pharaoh and before the nation at large. This same Moses was also to be given to complaining. Because like any leader in the Lord's work, whether it's a preaching elder or the ruling elder, he too was human. And so we have more complaining here. And then to add to that, there's also the criticism. Now, let's look at those two things. And you'll work out, I've only two points this morning. You're probably a bit glad to hear that. But the first one is the leader. Just look at verse 10 as we read it. And Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And it may be said there, if we look at that verse, that the displeasure regarding the people and their complaining was commendable. It was commendable in Moses' part, but what wasn't commendable was how he expressed that displeasure. For in that complaining spirit, he approaches the Lord. And his complaint was regard to his burden. You look at the words of verse 11. Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Verse 14. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. Now I understand he wasn't complaining about the food. He wasn't complaining about the provisions that the Lord had given to him and to the camp at large. It was rather about the burden that he had to carry. And the sense is that he was bringing even this complaint uh, before the Lord. Uh, In one sense, it's not surprising. For where there's people, there will be problems. And the magnitude of the nation, the numbers that were in this great nation before Moses, that only exacerbated exacerbated the problem his task he felt was too much for him to bear it really brings us back to that time where he's standing before the burning bush and God had called him to lead the children of Israel out and at that time he said who am I that I should bring Israel out of Egypt that same spirit now has resurrected itself again he utters the same strong words He accuses the Lord, look at it, verse 11, of being mean with him. Thou hast afflicted me. He accuses the Lord of not loving him. Have I not found favor in thy sight? He accuses the Lord of being unfair to him, verse 12. Have I conceived all this people? Now, none of, of course, of those accusations were true, but it was Moses venting from a despondent heart when he's faced with these difficulties and the response is to blame God on it. Could it be that Moses was influenced not only by the complaining and those, by those in the camp, but also by Jethro? We read about Jethro in Exodus chapter 18. You remember this father-in-law and he comes into his presence. And I say that because here he uses the very same words that Moses uses now. Jethro said to him, the thing is too heavy for thee. That was his observation. People were queuing up to be uh, spoken with Moses to get his counsel day after day. And he said, the thing is too heavy for thee. And we also know, of course, that Jethro was a priest of Midian. He wasn't part of God's people. 
And you look at the words of verse 14 again. And Moses says before God here, I'm not able to bear all this people alone because it's too heavy for me. He uses exactly the same words. And the point I'm trying to bring out, men and women, is this. How often it is proven that the world doesn't understand that whom the Lord calls, he also equips. And that teaches us that there's a danger in listening to the counsel that the world would seek to offer. I would say that to you in your home life, in your family life, in your business world. But I would particularly bring it in application to the conduct of the business of the Lord. We don't need to listen to the world of how to conduct our worship. How to conduct the work of God. We need to be discerning when it comes to what may, may seem to be clever. But at the end of it, it is corrupt counsel. And God heard what Moses had complained about. From wherever he was influenced by it. Whether the camp at large. Whether Jethro. And his answer was to give him helpers. What follows in these verses we didn't read. Is how 70 men were to be selected. To help Moses in the task. These men were to be the best. They were to be wise. They were to be uh, experienced men. They already proved themselves. You know it's just like. The requirements that we read about. For officers in the New Testament church. The oversight in the church is to prove themselves before the people. It's exactly the same. And upon those 70 men was to come the Spirit of God. Verse 25, the Lord came down in the clouds, spake unto him, and took of the Spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. In other words, they were given to the ability to help Moses in the work. And with the Spirit, they were able to prophesy. That takes in more than just telling future events. But they were to be able to give exhortations. They were able to explain God's Word. And by those explanations and exhortations, they proved to the congregation that they were indeed called of God. You see, when God calls a man, there will be evidence of it. I've already said to you, I believe in other times, that a Bible college doesn't make a minister. A Bible college doesn't make a missionary for the mission field. It doesn't give the gifts. God already does that. The evidence is already there. What the college does, it prepares. It takes off the sharp edges. It does furnish that servant with something of what lies before them in any given or particular ministry. But it doesn't make a minister. It doesn't make a missionary. God gives those gifts. There was a problem here with these helpers, however. You'll notice it in verse 26. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them. And they were of them that were written, but were not out unto the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. There's detail given of two men there. They're set apart. They're part of these seven days. But they didn't happen to be at the tabernacle. And they were prophesying in the camp. And because of that it was reported to Moses by our young Israelite. And Joshua, Joshua whom we have come across as an assistant to Moses, this young man. He was quick to tell Moses what he ought to do. And you know when I read that it's, I'm just reminded you see his name mentioned verse 28. 
He came and he said, my Lord, Moses, forbid them. But I'm just reminded of John, the disciple John, what we read of him in the Gospels who reported on those who were performing miracles, but they weren't one of them. John, uh, Luke's Gospel, I should say, chapter 9. Just let us read it. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 49. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbid him because he followed not with us. You see how the Lord replies? Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. And men and women, when this complaint was brought to Moses and Joshua said, Forbid them. Moses had the Christ-like spirit. For unlike Joshua or the others, he wasn't jealous of others in the ministry. He didn't desire to have the monopoly of power or the monopoly of honor. His main concern was the honor and glory of God alone. And Moses rejoiced that others were speaking forth the praises of the Lord. And you know that? that, Let me say this. that's, That's hard to replicate. Maybe, maybe the challenge last Sunday morning, you felt it, but I feel it this time around. Am I as eager that God's kingdom be advanced with my neighboring colleagues as, as I am here in this part of God's vineyard? Do I pray as earnestly for success in other congregations as I would for here? That's not an easy one. You see, many complain about the Eldad and me dads today because they do not want to be seen to be doing better. They don't want them to have more of the limelight, if you like. And men and women, that's just plain old jealousy, isn't it? May God keep us from that. The other complaint of Moses was, how was he going to provide the meat for the people that they craved after? His biggest problem was in this thinking. You see, he was looking at it from a totally human perspective. Look at the verse, verse 21. Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? He's just looking through the human spectacles. His reasoning has left out the power of God. Like the disciples... Remember how they saw the great multitudes on the mountainside that had followed the Lord that day to hear his teaching and the Savior was commanding now to be fed? How were they ever going to feed a great multitude? How were they ever going to supply bread in the wilderness? You see, they only looked at the human resources and how often we are no different. And it shows us The smallness of our faith. It dishonors our God. It limits God to our circumstances. And you will note that in all that Moses said, 
His memory was also deficient, as we saw with the Israelites in remembering only some things of Egypt. If Moses had remembered how God had supplied the water from the rock, of how God had provided the manna, of how God had divided the Red Sea and turned the bitter waters into sweet at Marah, then he would never have brought those words. He would never have complained to the Lord in a sense. He wouldn't have questioned the power of God. Oh, men and women, let's not forget what the Lord has done for us. And how he has delivered you and I many times over. Let's not limit him then for the difficulties or the needs that may be before us at this given time. Moses had to be challenged. Verse 23, And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Moses got his answer. God was provided by his almighty power. God was reminding him by asking this question. His power hasn't diminished. His power doesn't grow slack. It doesn't run out. Our God doesn't wilt nor faint. He doesn't get tired or lose strength. Therefore, he can supply the flesh just as much as he supplied the manna. These two instances where Moses brought the complaint and God gave the answer. You know, there's one proposition from Moses that God didn't answer. Verse 15. And if thou deal lust with me, kill me, I pray thee out of hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, let me not see my wickedness. In the midst of the complaining, he asked God to take his life. Moses wanted to quit. Men and women, can we just say this? You get into the company of complainers and you will find that oftentimes those same people are just quitters. Moses has a wear hands in his resignation here. He's had enough. But it's always wrong to have that spirit to hand in the resignation if you like to. We have the white flag of surrender when God has not terminated our assignment. Men like Elijah, men like Jonah were also as discouraged that they wanted God to take them home. Notice that while God answered the other parts of what Moses said, he didn't answer this one. He didn't answer this request. And how glad that we should be that God doesn't always answer our petitions. We read in Luke chapter 5, and the words of verse 8, and Simon Peter saw it, that is, when he saw the nets broken, Net broken, actually. The Lord commanded him to cast out the nets onto the other side. And Simon remonstrated with the Lord. He said, Master, we have toiled all night. We have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, verse 5, I will let down the net. And of course, when that happened, the nets were bursting. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. He said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O God, O Lord. That's a good job the Lord didn't answer that prayer. The Lord didn't depart from Simon. There's many a time we fail. There's many a time even we limit the power of God as Simon Peter did here in the very boat. But he doesn't leave us. 
And God's refusal to answer some of our prayers and some of our requests results in the greatest blessings, you know. What a tragedy it would have been if this request of Moses had been answered. He would have missed out on so much blessing. And we would have missed out on so much blessing that has passed on to us from his very pen. For these first five books are under the pen of the Moses, the Pentateuch. And so you see, men and women, I trust I've been fair in dealing with this whole subject of complaining. It doesn't only happen among people, it happens among leaders. It's something that the minister has to guard against and those in the oversight as well. But I have to move on because I want you to see the lady. We've noted that this chapter 11 is full of complaint. The next chapter is full of criticism. The trouble that Moses faced wasn't over once they moved on to Hazaroth. In fact, the criticism that he now faced was worse. Why do I say that? Because it come from within this family now. Bad enough when it's from the camp. Now it comes from his sister and from his brother. And while these two names are mentioned in the words of verse 1, I believe we can say with great authority that Miriam, the lady, was the ringleader. I'll show you that. Verse 1, and Miriam. She's mentioned first in the order. Miriam and Aaron. In verse 1, the word spake is in the feminine, not masculine. She's one who's to be punished most of all as a result of this criticism. Aaron, by nature, was one who was easily led. We've seen that in the past as well. While Miriam took great delight in leading a woman at song at the Red Sea. So there are five or four or five reasons why the blame is firmly pointed at her. What was the nature of the criticism? It really boils down to two things. The woman he married, the ministry he had. Verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now now there's there's a division of opinion here. A division of opinion in identifying who this woman is because the name's not given. Either it means that Zipporah, that's the wife we have come across before in previous chapters in Exodus, the wife that we have come across had now died. Moses had lived long enough for that to be the the case, so that's one plausible reason. The other reason is to be taken that uh, this is another wife that he had married a second time. It's possible, but it's probably not the answer. The other option To this woman's identity is that they are the one and the same woman. This is really Sephora that we're looking at. You see, we can say that because it was a part of that land named Cush. That's where the Ethiopians came from. And that included a part of the land occupied by the Midianites. And remember, Jethro was a priest of Midian. Sephora was his daughter. So it could have been that Zipporah was Ethiopian by birth. However, she resided in Midian. It may also be a derogatory term used by Miriam to criticize Zipporah because of her color. But whatever the identity of this lady, the problem was that Miriam didn't like the look of her appearance. But as we shall see, that wasn't the real issue. 
It was just a cover-up. To what may have been a jealous spirit. I remember from where we've come from. Remember for a long time the wife of Moses wasn't with him. She stayed back. As he went to deliver the nation out of Egypt. So she wasn't there. And that being so, Miriam would have enjoyed a position. She would have enjoyed the position of being a leading lady. She, she, after all, was a sister to the leader. But now because mention is made of the, of the wife of Moses, Moses' is back, wife is back with him again. And that means by virtue of her marriage union to God's man, Miriam's position is less so. Now Miriam has to play the second fiddle. So the real problem wasn't about her color or where she came from. It was about the position in the camp or maybe now the position that she hadn't got. The second part of her criticism was to do with his ministry. Look at verse 2. They said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? Here's a real problem now. I, as I say, I think verse 1 is just the facade. It's just a cover-up. Here's a real problem. It's unmasked. There's, there's no disguise here. They didn't like the fact that the wife of Moses had a higher position, but also they didn't like the fact that Moses, had, their brother, had that highest position. Did the Lord not speak through them as well? And they wanted to be on an equal footing with him. And don't forget that we just considered in the previous chapter that God gave him 70 helpers. And Miriam or Aaron are not mentioned among them. And so we come to the nub of this lady's problem. When we see that they weren't numbered amongst those 70 who were elevated, who had the Spirit of God come upon them for the task. And what happens is the heckles are raised up, and so they start to find fault, and they start to criticize those who are in position. As I say, not only the wife of Moses, whoever she was at this time, but Moses himself. Miriam has an envious spirit about her, and Aaron joins in her to support You know, men and women, there's nothing new under the sun. We've touched on what some might call racism. That's one of the buzzwords that are going about today. You scarcely can describe someone as a black person and not be accused of being a racist. I don't mind people calling me a white person because that's what I am. And a black person is a black person because that's what they are. In fact, we were, we were discussing it yesterday. They happened to come in yesterday into the Let the Bible Shop, a black doll. You ever see a black doll? And then they went on in the discussion to describe, you remember the, what was it, the jam or the gollywogs on it? Oh, you're voracious if you come out with that today. That's provoking some memories, isn't it? Some of the children are too young for that, carry on. You never saw that, John, but the older ones would know what I'm talking about. They had to remove even that symbol or that emblem for that company on that John because it is deemed as racism. Men and women's load of nonsense. I don't want, and I don't 
want to offend anyone. I'm not offended, as I say, when people call me by the appearance that I have. Just remember this, that we're all made in God's image. Remember that. Remember what Paul said. You see, this is the problem with the world. They've got away from the scriptures. They don't know the word of God. And so they come out with these ridiculous things. But you come to the scriptures, Acts chapter 17. You remember uh, uh, Paul's in Athens and he's speaking before an ungodly crowd. And he says to him in verse 26, he's talking about God, the God who made them. God who giveth to all life and breath and all things. And he goes on, he says, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. We're all made of one blood. Our skin color might be different, but we can't change our skin color. But we're all made of one blood. And that's why I can identify, I can meet with believers in Kenya or Uganda or wherever, Nepal or wherever. They have different colors of skin, but we have have the common love for our Savior, our Redeemer. And if Miriam had a problem with the appearance of the wife of Moses, then her color was to be changed before the chapter ends. Because you look at the words of verse 10 that we read. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. The worst kind of leprosy. She was leprous. The envious spirit is what is evident in these days as well. And you know what is a fancy name these days of equal rights? It's under the guise of equal rights con- correcting so-called wrongs. It's nothing more than trying to gain prestige and position and oftentimes it's not even merited. We talk about square blocks being put into round holes. That's where equal rights takes you. Ladies, you used to get your car insurance cheaper than the men. Not anymore because of equal rights. It's not always good. And you know where it is wrong mostly? The danger is in church circles. Or women usurp the position of the elder by seeking to be their equal. And they bring the message. And we have women in pulpits today in our land. And we have women in the eldership in our land and churches today. And there's women with this same spirit within our own denomination, I believe. They want to usurp the place of the elder and bring a message. No interest in the honor of God or the furtherance of his work. Rather, there's pride there. There's a desire to elevate their own personal standing and honor. Ladies, I'm not against ladies' meetings on this condition that a man brings the message. An elder, preaching elder, ruling elder, not a woman. God has given the women another work in the church of God. It's not preaching. It's not preaching. 
And just put over it what we read at the end of verse 2. It says this, And the Lord heard it. The Lord heard it. You see the best manner to deal with such criticism? Verse 3, And the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. There's the verse that tells us that Moses was a meek man. He was attacked. His wife was attacked indirectly. But instead of lashing back, he said nothing. He simply remained silent when he was accused. Now, he wasn't always silent. When God was attacked, he spoke up. When, when the people were, did wrong in the nation, he interceded for them. But when he was attacked, he kept quiet. So often we get it the other way around. Moses was where he was because God had elevated him. God had put him in position It does but expose the character of Miriam and Aaron. They should never have raised their voices against them. They weren't interested in his marriage. They weren't interested in his meekness. They only sought position for themselves. And Moses didn't need to speak up. Why? Because God was doing that. And his response to all of this is decisive. Verse 4. The Lord speaks suddenly unto Moses, unto Aaron and Miriam. Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. They who honor him, he will honor. What do you read in the following verses? How God vindicated his servant before Miriam and before Aaron. Reminding them that it was his prerogative to as a sovereign God to call whom he will. You look at the words of verse 6. He said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him. To presume a calling of God is a dangerous business. And Miriam especially is to work this out and to realize it. God also made it clear that Moses was superior in the camp as his prophet. The difference between him and those other prophets who God had called apart to set apart was how they received the word. And they received the word by dreams or visions, verse 6 or so. Then verse 8, with him will I speak mouth to mouth. There's a difference from God's own mouth, not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. And you know, men and women, that's the foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to turn you over just to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18 in the words of verse 15. The Lord says this, The Lord thy God, through Moses, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto whom ye shall hearken. Verse 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto me, and will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak unto them all that I shall command them. There's Christ. And Moses here is a foreshadowing of even the Saviour. God revealed to them that the character of Moses was one who was faithful. Verse 7, he's faithful in all mine house. And for them to criticize Moses was disrespectful. It was disrespectful. It was unjustified. And you know this, verse 8, they did it without a fear. He says, wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? That's a solemn thought. The outcome, God was angered. God departed. For sin makes God angry. 
And Miriam was to know retribution for her sin. Her leprosy was the worst kind. As I've said, it was white as snow. Psalm 105 verse 15 is very applicable saying, Touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. The judgment of God points out who was the leader of this attack. It was the lady. But the one who desired honor for herself ended up with shame. She ended up being humiliated by the judgment as she had to be shut out of the camp for seven days. And the camp couldn't go on. It was delayed until she was uh, delivered from that seven-day recovery. The character of Moses shines through. He seeks God on her behalf that she might be healed. It's the very one that criticized him. That's not the easiest thing to do, men, women. To pray for those who criticize you. But you know there's a blessing in it. Think of Job. Job 42, verse 10. I'm nearly finished. I want you to see it. He says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job, Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Those who were criticizing Job, taking their turns. Job prayed for them. God answered prayer. But I want to close with this thought. That is, Miriam was healed. But I want to close with Deuteronomy chapter 24. What's this? It's this, men and women, God didn't want Israel to forget this incident. Jeremiah 24 verse 9 says this. Again, Moses is bringing the recollection of all that the Lord had done for them. Remember what the Lord thy God did unto Miriam by the way, after that ye were come forth out of Egypt. There's many a thing that they had to remember. But here the Holy Ghost puts in this. Israel, you remember Miriam. You remember what happened to Miriam, by the way. Why do you think that God wanted Israel to remember this incident? They had to remember the danger of pride and envy. They had to remember the danger of ignoring divine callings or presuming a position of God that God never intended for you. Remember that, Israel. Remember the danger of being interested more in earthly rank than in personal holiness. Remember what happened to Miriam, by the way. May the Lord help us to remember and to honor him. That is, to honor God in all that we do and all that we say. May the Lord bless his word to our heart this morning for his own name's sake. Amen. 349. Just change your position at the close of the service here. I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. He bears them all and frees us from the accursed load. Page 318, you'll find it. That's number 349. We'll sing the first two verses. We'll have a short benediction. Those that are not remaining for the Lord's table, can you please make your way out during the singing of verse 3.
Our God and our Father, we thank thee for thy word. It's come with challenge again to our hearts this morning. Save us, Lord, from having the complaining spirit. We pray, Lord, that thou would help us to remember even Miriam, what happened to her by the way. And, O oh God, that we might have not that pride or that desire to have position and to be elevated before everybody else, even at the expense of personal holiness. And we ask, O oh God, that thou would teach us even to look afresh and to all be always gazing upon the one who bore the burden, the burden of our sin at Calvary, the one who bore it away in his own body on that tree. Bless those that will leave at this time, Lord, go before them and meet with them, we pray. Speak on to the unconverted. They might come to know Christ as their Savior. Know the burden of sin rolled away. Bless the people of God that will remain and abide with us around thy table. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.